0: hey what's up everybody welcome to simply cyber live i am your host gerald Ozier, and in the next hour we are going to be diving deep on cybersecurity topic that i am really really a big fan of and i hope you are too we're going to be talking about reverse engineering malware analysis software exploitation we might dabble i don't know i don't know but we're going to be talking with dr josh Stroshine, a personal friend of mine a wonderful individual incredibly smart When it comes to, you know, assembly, disassembling binaries, understanding the current state of malware, he's he's absolutely brilliant. On top of that, he's an amazing, amazing educator. Like to the point where I literally TA'd one of his classes in grad school just, just to be in his class. So I hope you're excited. Get your questions ready. It's going to be deep. We're going to do a technical demo. I think uh, we <laughs> we were kind of getting that sorted out before we got started. But let's bring Josh in. Let's have a good time. I'm, I'm super pumped. Let's do it. <music> all right josh what's going on man you good
1: i think so can you hear me
0: yeah i can hear you hey chat if if josh's audio or mic is too low go ahead and uh share that in chat so we know and he can uh throttle it up or do whatever he needs to do so dr strohshine as it were um yeah so we're talking about um reverse engineering like a boss that's kind of how i pitched this this episode for for the chat, because I know some people have been your student in the past, but just for chat in a, in a high level, can you just kind of explain a little bit about your background and why you are really a SME when it comes to reverse engineering?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. I, you know, I, I find SME a hard word. Um, it's, uh, I guess, as I've always found cybersecurity to be one of those uh, professions that the more I know, the the, the more I realize it's the less I know. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, always learning. Um, uh, but I do enjoy reverse engineering. I, I think it's interesting that it's it's something that when I first got started in it, um, I, I didn't enjoy it as much as I do today. Uh, the the It really became a, a challenge that I set out to tackle because I just wanted to prove to myself that I could. Um, and uh, and so the, over the course of time, I really got into RE uh, just a few years ago, um, going through the, the same doctoral program with Jerry and getting into teaching. Um, I wasn't doing it in industry before that time, uh, although I, I'd spent... All of my time, kind of pre-academic period, uh, doing software development, so I think that certainly helped in that I was pretty, you know, comfortable with uh, a lot of the concepts that I was going to encounter with reverse engineering. But I wasn't writing low-level languages. I wasn't writing in C. I wasn't certainly not doing any assembly. I hadn't touched assembly since college, uh, the first time I went through. Um, and, and so then as I got into teaching it, I realized that I, I really wanted that industry experience as well. And, and then I, I sought out through some really good friends like Jared DeMott. Um, he provided me a lot of just amazing opportunities to, uh, to start working for some companies. Bromium was the first that I, mm-hmm. I started doing real uh, malware analysis, reverse engineering with. Uh, I actually started with them as an intern in my late 30s, something I never thought I would do. And um, and just, you know, from there, it was something that I, I spent a lot of time, a lot of my free time, a lot of my teaching time, a lot of my uh, consulting time just trying to figure out and unravel. And, and I've been doing it uh, now ever since. So I still work with Bromium. It's actually got acquired by HP a few years ago. Uh, so HP Wolf and um, I don't. I, I probably haven't been seriously in Ida now for a few months. So I'm, I'm trying to get better at that because I've I've let myself get distracted, mm-hmm. but uh, and those skills perish quickly. Uh, I, at least for me, they do. So, um, but yeah, still it's still a part of the role. Well, so let me ask you.
0: Like when I think of cybersecurity, even today, you know, I think of corporate cybersecurity, right? And there's some, there's some fringe roles. Like we, we talked about product uh, management last week on the stream, but I think of security operations. I think of GRC, maybe a little bit of digital forensics as a skill within a SOC or incident responder, but doing true malware analysis, doing reverse engineering, to me, that always felt like, um, what's what's like it's definitely a very uh niche skill but i never really understood what the job market was for it right and then after talking to people like you and tj nelson and stuff like i know that there's jobs out there with like that's your job you work in a lab and you do malware analysis but what is the current um market i guess like let's let's say someone's like oh this is cool. I want to do this. I go get all the education. I'm super good at it. Like what's the market for jobs for having those skills?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. uh, Cause I, I think, you're going to find uh and I, and i haven't maybe i don't have my finger as, as close as i used to on on the industry pulse and the career postings um but yeah uh, you know, I, I think you'll you you'll find that you know dedicated malware analysis uh reverse engineering positions are maybe a little bit fewer and, and farther between than some of your more predominant roles that organizations are looking for, uh, your SOC analysts, your incident responders, your, you know, if you've got software security, vulnerability research, um, in a lot of organizations, at least from my viewpoint, they're, they're looking for a security team that can do all of the things. And Mm -hmm. if they, if they need a a reverse engineer or a a dedicated threat research team, that's actually tracking APTs or nation states or whatever, um, you know, those, those tend to, I mean, those are, those are, you know, uh, I think different organizations that need those. Uh, I don't think every bank needs one, but you know, if you're mm-hmm. proof point, well, you're tracking malware every day because you're writing rules. So um, yeah, it seems like from the folks I've talked to, uh, you know, as as you progress through maybe as as a SOC analyst, SOC one, two, three, whatever the role may be, eventually you get to a point where you get added to a team that maybe that becomes a bigger part of the role where you're mm-hmm. spending more time doing reverse engineering or, or tracking malware. Uh, I, I also think too, it it just it comes with more experience. Uh, you know I certainly. You know, there are there are going to be people that can just jump right into an RE role, um, but for me, for me personally, it it took a while to build up to it. There's a lot of things that I just didn't know. I didn't know, um, mm-hmm. and it just took a lot of time. So I I think you'll see that. Uh, you know, I've I've seen if I guess truth be told, I've applied for a few roles uh, here and there throughout the years. Didn't decide to pursue some of them, uh, where I where I received an offer, but they were all more probably more experienced roles that I I never would have would have pursued had I just been at the beginning point of my career. So you might have to find, you know, I, th- I think for someone who's, who's new and looking for a position here, um, they might have to look for something that is a little bit more, I don't, I want to say entry level, but maybe that's the case uh, with, with the viewpoint of uh, I can see mm-hmm. this growing into the reverse engineer position. I want to be.
0: Yeah. Uh, and Josh, can you maybe turn your mic up just a little bit? Uh, sure. if that's possible while I'm talking. So all right I've always thought that two things one like reverse engineering malware analysis is absolutely awesome but like you said I feel like you're a blue teamer and you dabble a little bit and then eventually uh, you get to an organization that's large enough to warrant have p- having people do just that or you go work for a Google project zero or a Cisco talos or something like this one of these kind of research think tanks where you're basically being paid to reverse stuff and find new malware. So then the company can turn around and have signatures and be first to market with certain defensive mechanisms. So that's kind of how I've seen it. Um, Again, I'll tell you what, Josh, from from my perspective, right? So I I do um, mostly GRC, but because I work for smaller teams, I have to do SOC analyst stuff. And when a piece of malware comes into my environment, I would love love to reverse it right it's fun reversing is fun but i don't have time to do that like i need to find out how bad this is try triage and move on and or and see if it's it's in my environment anywhere else and then move on because i got another problem i gotta solve so that's always been the struggle with me um but it sounds like there are opportunities you just have to like i guess if you're in the industry if you're in that re role do those companies kind of become more obvious like are you are you in the know?
1: Uh, yeah. So I think uh, I, I, you're definitely right um, with the time, the timeline. You know, I, I, like some of the classes I teach, whether university or, or private stuff, um, you know, there's a there's a whole bunch of material we can cover without ever touching, you know, reverse engineering. And 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 I think it's important too to frame RE because uh, it can really take on a lot of different. Uh, tools and a lot of different approaches and, you know, at, at the at the baseline, it's just taking something and reverse under reverse engineering the understanding of it. So you can get a malicious office document, you can RE the macros, you can get something in native code, like a PE file, and you can reverse engineer that machine code. The tools you use are different. The time involved is going to be a lot different. The complexity is a lot different. There's so many things that are different. So, um, you know, a, a lot of things, a lot of variables getting into it, um if you think about i, I always like to think of, of mitre attack in terms of that that complexity curve uh, when you're when you're analyzing artifacts on the left that initial access and 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 execution as you move further right just the, it just gets more difficult uh you know that's where you encounter more of those native code binaries you need tools like ida when you're far on the left still you're using ole dump and xlm deobfuscator and other things that while it can still be complicated they just in general tend to be a little bit easier um, I think once you get into you know into industry, yeah, I think you definitely pick up a better pulse. You you know you, you start to meet more people. The the, the thing that's really surprised me, um, you know, with this industry as large as as it is, as you really find yourself and work your way into that niche, that place that you really enjoy working or you spend most of your time working, you just, you get to know a lot of the people that are out there doing it and, uh, and then they can help become mentors and and guide you or you just, you work with or for different teams and you get to, to view and experience that and maybe then find those opportunities to either move on to another organization or, or move on to another team within the same organization. If it's a large enough one, you like Google, Google certainly would have enough, enough breath and what they have for teens that mm-hmm. if you found something that caught your eye more, you'd be able to move in that direction. So I, I think it does certainly help, but it's the problem that I've seen in technology since I've started uh, is that you just, it's just hard to get that initial start and really get out there and mm-hmm. start making those connections. Uh, conferences are a great place. Things like this are an awesome place to go and listen and connect and, and reach out for, for mentorship or guidance to help you.
0: So real quick, since we're we're using the term reverse engineering, reverse are we're calling it RE also.
1: This is audio, is
0: revert what's that?
1: Is the audio audio better?
0: I, I think so, yeah. Everything
1: is <laughs> fighting me today. I don't know why this really sucks. I can't share my screen. I just everything.
0: Well, we'll get through it. It'll be good. No. So we we say RE, we say reverse engineering, those terms are synonymous. You may have also heard of it as malware analysis, right? So, Josh, just to kind of level set, I mean, would you call malware analysis and reverse engineering um, synonymous? And, and there, are okay. You you answer the question because now, as I'm asking it, I'm realizing the difference. But you tell me,
1: right? right yeah. Um, no, I'd say I'd say malware analysis uh, oftentimes requires reverse engineering, um, mm-hmm. but reverse engineering uh, can it has other applications. I think you already touched on it. You, you have like Project Zero and, and, and vulnerability research, that's an application for research, reverse engineering. Um, mm-hmm. You know, validating that you're doing the best you can to protect intellectual property and software. So so there's definitely other applications, and it and it doesn't necessarily have to involve software. I mean, there's there's hardware stuff. Um, you know, there's uh, reversing network protocols. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's other applications. So so I would say you know for malware analysis, um, it's 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 a skill that you don't need right away. But I, I think if you want to experience the full career, it's something that you'll want to start working on right away and, and have a plan to grow your RE capabilities and what you can do as you're, you know, as you're working through some of the other responsibilities and skills that malware analysts need.
0: So one of the things you mentioned already is, um, you know, you could RE a, um, a macro virus, right? Or you could reverse a, a binary, like a um a microsoft pe file so mm-hmm. let me ask you this in the pantheon of reversing and really the marketability of it right because you know at the end of the day like it's fun to do this stuff but it's better to get paid doing this stuff yeah do, do you recommend people or it, do you see it in industry that everybody becomes a jack of all trades so i could reverse an android apk file i could reverse a pe file macro or is it more like bug bounty on the offensive side where like you basically just become the Android APK reverser? That's like what you do. Uh, like, what, what do we see? Jack of all trades or a master of one? Uh, well,
1: I don't know. I guess I would say that there is, um, I mean, for me, I, I, I focus on the areas that were the most relevant, or at least what I felt were the most relevant PE files and windows, because that's where a lot of the malware is because that's where a lot of industries at. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, definitely if you want to, if you have an interest uh, in Android APKs or iOS apps or another area, I think it's, it's going to be where you start to focus and start to get your and create your niche. Um, but definitely when you, when you, when you build a, I think there's an overall methodology to reverse engineering. And as you you build that experience. Let's say you pick 32-bit Intel because you want to look at Windows stuff. Well, as you understand the tools and the process and how internals of the operating system work and how instruction sets work and how to reverse engineer those, then it, in my opinion, it becomes easier to apply those to a 64-bit environment or an ARM environment or mm-hmm. trying to learn Android or iOS Um, They're going to, of course, be different, but I think there'll be a lot of conceptual similarities that'll make that transition easier. So um, I I think it's probably best to pick one and, and start there and then gravitate or, or reach it, you know, branch out into different, different technologies as the situation dictates to you. Uh, I think windows and Intel is a great place to start because again, that's mm-hmm. just where most organizations are at in their networks with having windows hosts and windows environments. And, you know, 64 bit, obviously that's probably more predominant at this point in time, but the jump from how 32 bit to 64 bit stuff works is really, again, it's not, it's not terribly complicated. So pick, pick one or the other, uh, understand it, learn it, and and you'll be you'll be set. I mean, if you start with thirty two bit, just nothing. It's not an extensive amount of change to then upgrade yourself <laughs> to understanding sixty four bit, or just start sixty four bit. you know, whatever. I just yeah. pick, pick one and go. Just from there. just
0: get in. Yeah. So so um, PMA Practical Malware Analysis considered a seminal text in our space <laughs> around learning malware analysis. Uh, excuse me, analysis. And um, the or the No Starch Press book on Ida, in my opinion, is considered the book for Ida. So for people who are interested in even seeing if reversing is what they're into or what they like, what kind of resources would you recommend? I mean, obviously you can do a class, but I mean, are there, are there some seminal videos, some seminal texts, some seminal content that is, you know, the answer to this question?
1: Uh the well the texts you mentioned are those are great places to start. PMA I think is uh ten or eleven years old now and so even though it's a bit dated, uh it still is a is a great place to start. The fundamentals are all there and it will get you moving in the right direction. It, uh, a lot of folks have, it, you know, PMA comes with a lot of sample programs and, and again, yeah, you're going to look at, I think poison Ivy and say, well, that's an old, you know, that's an old piece of malware. Yeah. But it's it, a lot of the things are still the same. Uh, a lot of the techniques and, and tools to go analyze it. So it's a great place to start, um, all the samples. I'm sharing,
0: I'm sharing it right here on stream. So you can see it. This is yeah. the PMA book. You can see I bought it in 2016.
1: So. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, there's a lot of good write-ups to the, to the to the guide. I mean, the book comes with a walkthrough, a, a detailed walk. I think half of the book is lab walkthrough. And then, mm-hmm. of course, many people over the years have solved those and provided their own their own kind of viewpoint into solving these with more modern versions of, of the same tools or something. Um, IDA Pro, uh, Ghidra, uh, Chris Eagle is, has now an updated uh, Ghidra book. Uh, the Ghidra book, I believe, is out there. So pick one or the other, I would say, and, and jump into it. I'm still an IDA person i'm using an old version of ida but it's where i started and i Mm -hmm. think there are still just a few benefits to it that i like plus i'm just more comfortable with it Ghidra has a decompiler definitely a very powerful thing to have in your your reverse engineering arsenal because going from assembly to disassembly uh, or i mean from disassembly to to something a little bit higher like c that can make your comprehension of the code a little bit quicker Uh, But if you're learning, I would definitely recommend starting with the assembly because the decompilers are not always going to be right. Sometimes they lie and you're just, your ability to reverse will be that much stronger. If you, if you have that assembly foundation, you don't have to be an assembly developer. You know, I don't write assembly code, except I I do write a little bit of shell code every now and again. Um, But it's not something I do on a regular basis to write fully featured programs using assembly. So you don't have to get to that level, but understanding how to write and and how it works will definitely increase your ability to um, to be a a proficient reverse engineer
0: yeah well let me ask you that so you know i I came up on ida also right and you did too and when Ghidra came out i I downloaded it and i tried it and it's it's really in my opinion Ghidra's it is a powerful tool and it can give you that c feel Mm-hmm. But I feel like Ghidra was designed for like team analysis, right? Like it's 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 decentralized and you can have multiple people working on a binary. So I personally like Kaida, but 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 based just on the functionality and the ease of use, if you can somehow remove your bias towards Ida, and Ida still might be the same answer. Which one do you think is more accessible to someone who has no experience with either?
1: Oh yeah, accessibility. Um well, again, it kind of depends a little bit. Uh, IDA is open source, or G- I'm sorry, Ghidra is open source, so there are there's essentially no barriers into getting access to it. Um, it's you know developed by the NSA, it's supported by them, it's super easy to get it up and running and install. It's mm-hmm. I think it's Java, so there's really no barriers there. Um, IDA is still a commercial product, and while they've they've certainly taken some competition from Ghidra. Um, you know, getting into IDA, there, there's free and demo versions. There's some educational licenses that you can get if you're in a, you in know, a, in, a, in a college or university. But um, to get full-blown IDA, there are there are there's going to be a paywall that you're going to hit, and and it's still a pretty steep one. So w- you know, when you look at getting into IDA, well, if you're doing 32-bit Intel, I think even 64-bit binaries now, but it's gonna it's gonna limit your your the file formats that it parses for you. So um you know starting with windows and windows based malware it's still a pretty good route to go because it's going to support all of that at least the majority of it um mm-hmm. but if you just don't want to worry about any restrictions you know Ghidra is a, a really great op- you know a really great alternative too so
0: okay. i'd say yeah, well, let, me, let me let me let me pull up a comment okay so like binja like someone someone obviously yeah. is upset that i i didn't pull out some love for, for- Binary Ninja. What, do you have any thoughts about Binary Ninja? It it is an alternative, um, but w- what are your thoughts on Binary Ninja too?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, it's another great tool. It's another great alternative. Um, I, I haven't used it in quite some time, so I'm not really sure 100% where their model is at right now. Last I knew, they had a you know a demo version that you could use, mm-hmm. and then a uh, and then a premium. You know, they had a premium model that you could upgrade to. So um, you know, it seems like it has like other disassemblers out there. It, it's got a powerful user interface. It's got a powerful disassembly engine. I think it does some decompiling. I just am, I just have lost track. <laughs> I think it's, as to where yeah. where that project is at. So you know, Ghidra and IDA are the ones that are always going to come up. They're they're kind of industry standard. I would say if you're if you're new to RE, it's just as well to start there. But a lot of these tools are all going to provide very similar capabilities and you know and for someone who's new you you probably don't need all of the greatness that they might offer you know if you're just learning the basics and the fundamentals which which can be more painful like i said i would start by learning the assembly of the the disassembly output don't worry about the decompiler quite yet Um, you don't really have to worry about that Uh, then when you land that job and you're working for you know big tech corporation they can purchase Mm -hmm. you whatever license that you want and then you've got the full-blown IDE at your disposal.
0: Yeah. And we're we're gonna so I always found, at least back in the day, I found binary ninja to be more of a tool designed for senior level pros. Like like you've already done but like disassembly and reverse engineering, like you know what the workflows are because the interface was a lot less feature rich. I found I found like you had to know what you wanted where Ida it kind of just lays it all out there. We are getting a lot of uh <laughs> like I guess I, my bias of, of Ida versus Ghidra is showing. So now we're talking about no love for dnSpy. So
1: yeah, well, Spy is a, is a kind of it's a different class of RE tools. Um, you know, dnSpy is going to be your your .net binaries and I mm-hmm. wouldn't use IDA Pro for .net because .net's a, an interpreted language, you know, those it's good well it's well it uses a PE file. Uh, the code inside of it, it's there's enough there's enough native code to kind of bootstrap it into the .NET runtime, but then it's all bytecode from there. So what you're looking at then is, is the interpreter or, or however, I, I've never dug into exactly how it works, um, or, or at least in Microsoft's implementation of it, but you want a DNSPY to decompile that bytecode because then you're going to get C-sharp or VB.net or whatever mm-hmm. language you want. So they're, they're definitely, DNSPY is my still my go-to. I, last I looked, the project was archived on GitHub. So I'm not sure if somebody's picked up the maintenance on that, but that's been my go-to for .NET, reversing .NET binaries for a while. You know, Java is another thing. It's its own interpreted bytecode you've got to you've got to find a tool for java um Mm -hmm. radar radar 2 um i've used it i just don't use it extensively it just hasn't worked its way into my workflow so um you know definitely it's it's there's a a lot of really good options i think that's the, the cool thing about getting into re you don't need to be overwhelmed by the options there but there are a lot of cool options and so if you find yourself doing something, it's like, gosh, this, maybe I could automate this task, or maybe I could script this out, or maybe it'd be better to do this, not in a GUI. There probably is a framework that does it if the current tool you're using doesn't provide that capability. So a lot of great open source options, but I agree with you. Um, You know, some of them are going to require a little bit more knowledge and experience to really get in and utilize their capabilities.
0: I love it. And okay, so chat, I see you guys, you guys are all dropping like incredibly great questions. So I'm going to start firing off to dr josh here um real quick just as a programming note that uh some random linkedin user was asking if this is going to be recorded yes absolutely if you go to simply cyber's youtube channel you will be able to watch this indefinitely until youtube goes down all right so josh a couple couple questions coming from chat here tom pike thanks for the modding tom is there a prevalent language that you're seeing in malware
1: um uh, it's Uh, yeah i would say the majority i'm kind of guessing here i don't have data to back it up so this is just Mm a little kind of gut feeling i'd say it's still native code so somebody's writing something in c or c so when you're reversing it you're you're getting that disassembly you know 32-bit 64-bit um i don't know if i if i can say too if it's if it's switched i mean for years up until recent it's been a lot of 32-bit stuff with some 64-bit being sprinkled in Ah, uh, the reason being that sixty-four bit systems have backwards compatibility with thirty-two bit, so you know you can write for either. But the market share, I think, most systems now being sold are sixty-four bit. Um, you see, you know, a fair bit of .NET. Um, a little bit. I would probably argue a little bit easier to develop in. So maybe that's why you see some .NET. So, so .NET. Uh, you know, something in C Sharp or something originally. And then, you know, Java from time to time, um, on occasion, you'll see binaries that are written in a language like, like Rust or Golang, probably not Rust so much. I don't know why I thought of that, but Golang for sure. And that provides its own whole series of challenges because reversing that you, again, you're, you're looking at the, the, you know, the disassembly from that binary, but now you've got this whole go runtime that's embedded into it. So discriminating between the logic that the malware authors wrote and just the overhead of the go runtime can be a lot harder to, to separate those two. So just a Golang binary itself is, is a bit more of a challenge to reverse, but I don't think I, you know, again, I don't know the, the stats on those. Um, they're, they're going to come across as PE files. So you, you got to just dig a little bit into the structure to, to identify if it is mm-hmm. written in Golang. Um, but you definitely want to do that because the, the first steps I take before trying to tackle anything is, um, what type of file? Am I using the right type of tools? Uh, and then there's this whole process of identifying obfuscation. Is it packed? And if it is packed, how do I unpack it? Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I was hoping to go through today, if we can get the screen to share, but um, okay. you know, we That'll can be still talk through it. It'll be, it'll be fun to talk through it as well. Um, so those, those would be the most, um, Linux is definitely an issue. If if you look at the, if you go to the URL house on abuse.ch, they have a statistics page and I use the URL house and abuse.ch for, for all sorts of research. So it's a great place. If you haven't been there, particularly with malware, um, they've got a statistic page and they tag all the binaries that come up. Yeah. So if you go to statistics and then just scroll down a little bit, you'll see top tags a little bit further. Uh, most delivered payload and then top tag. So you can see they, they their top tag is elf, which is your that's interesting. Ex- your executable linking format. So those are Linux binaries.
0: Yeah, that's uh, really interesting. yeah. and I, and
1: I would I'm you know my my assessment is because a lot of those binaries are part of botnets and IOT hardware that's out there that are being compromised. Um, you know so that's another that's another one. i mean, if you're if you're interested in looking at you know iot centric malware, um, since those tend to be Linux-based systems, well, then you'll, you'll want to learn the ELF the file format and, and some of the intricacies of reverse engineering on a Linux platform, which, again, there'll be a, a common overlap, I think, of skills and techniques, but it's it's different. And in all the years I've been doing this, not that many years, uh, I have not spent a lot of time with Linux.
0: Yeah, so you can have a very successful career just in uh, with PE files. So speaking yeah. of that, uh, Matea is asking, you know, do you recommend some s- courses or certifications straightforward to reverse engineering for a beginner, or stepping back and like learning C and then assembly and then going from there? And it looks like he wants to focus on P reversing, which is right at Pure Alley, jo- uh, Josh.
1: Yeah, uh, I. So I I was I, I had a very unconventional I think uh, foray into getting into RE. Uh, because I was at a university and I was able to to teach courses on C and assembly. Uh, And again, I I didn't have any real background in C. I think in college we learned Java and then as a software developer, I did a lot of .NET stuff. Um, So yeah, I think if you can learn a little bit of C, you can learn a little bit of assembly. You want to learn probably more assembly than C, but definitely those two I think are good languages to start. Um, C++ as well. and uh, and building that foundation on how to write basic C programs, how to write basic assembly programs, you know then get into taking the binaries, compiling them, reversing them. Um, I think that's a great place to start. i wouldn't I wouldn't suggest just going out and grabbing malware and trying to disassemble it and learn from it because you're you're not only dealing with likely what is as a fairly complex program, but now you're gonna you're gonna have packing, you're gonna have obfuscation, you're gonna have anti-analysis. So unless you're ready to tackle those, it just gets really complicated really fast. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, definitely write some C programs. Find a, a good text. You know, C's been around forever, so there's a lot of good courses out there. There's a lot of good texts out there. Um, there is a a good a, a good PDF. Dr. Paul Carter. If you search for him. He's got a PDF for assembly and that's actually the, the the PDF that I used for my assembly class when I taught it. Um, and it, and it's nothing extensive. It just covers all of the basics. Here's your registers. This is what bitness looks like. These direct, you know, your bitwise operations. This is how you write basic programs. And um, I mean, it,
0: gets, it doesn't get much straighter than this. Yeah.
1: I mean, it's a, it's a great place to start. Um, and it's just right to the point. So that's a, a good PDF. Um, I've got some content, uh, on Pluralsight on YouTube, you know, I'm happy to to provide those links if there's an opportunity for it. Uh, but I would definitely do that. I, I also, on my GitHub, I have a bunch of simple C programs that you can take and you can look at the source. You can compile those using, you know, visual studio, then you can reverse engineer the binary and you can compare the two. So start with the basics, you know, just figure out how to write simple C programs. Uh, yeah. If you go back to my, uh, to my listings, my, my repos, uh, learning RE. So the second one down on the right-hand column. Yeah, there you go. There's nothing fancy. I just threw a bunch of stuff up there. Uh, control structures, the third folder down, you'll see there's a, a bunch of simple programs. And, uh, and that's the idea. Uh, if you can you pick any one of these, they're, they're meant to cover a specific topic. What does an array look like? Well, this is what it looks like in C. Now you can compile that and and see what it looks like in in Ida. And, you know, Ida Ghidra, all they're showing you is the the disassembly, so the assembly. So understanding how that looks in assembly and and understanding what the compiler does to it, too. Because the compilers will oftentimes, you know, like a C program will will run through a compiler. and, And it might change the way that you would expect the program to look once you've disassembled it versus if you maybe write a program in assembly and use an assembler that doesn't change the structure of your code as much. So there's a lot of little things that come up. Uh, and I say, Oh yeah, just start with C, just start with assembly, just start with a little C plus right? This is why getting into RE can take a little bit of time mm-hmm. uh, because there, there are a lot of concepts that, that have to come together before. Uh, for me, it, it just took a long time before I even felt remotely competent and comfortable doing it because there was just so much stuff that, uh, I, I'd have to stop and go research and go look up and, well, what does an array look like in assembly? And no, oh, I, that's, well, it's, it's different because arrays, uh, you know, they're, they're just a contiguous block of memory. And when you look at them and see, it, it's very, it's very, it's, I think it's conceptually a lot easier because you have the, the object that represents the array and then you have an index into that array. Well, if it's an array of, of, you know shorts well or or integer values well it's just a it's just a chunk of memory four bytes by four bytes by four bytes and so when you Mm -hmm. look at accessing an array in assembly the like the the, how that array is accessed is a little less clear um until you you recognize the syntax so
0: yeah you know and the the metaphor that's coming to my mind is uh it's like you want to hike the appalachian trail so you just run out and get on the trail and start hiking and and then you quickly realize like you didn't pack the right stuff you didn't wear the right clothes you didn't think about the weather you didn't do any prep um and you basically don't know what the heck you're doing and you're kind of having a miserable experience it's very similar like to to what you said yes you can download malware and open it at night and look at it but if you're not equipped you're going to have a really poor experience so i i definitely agree with you a hundred percent there
1: yeah, you, um, if you find ahead. yourself in Ida or Gijra, just you substitute any tool that you like to use. Um, if you find yourself doing the hunt and peck, where
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're, you're just clicking around, hoping something's going to stand out, it's it, it probably it won't, um, because it's just not going to be, in, in a lot of cases, it's not going to be that obvious. Um, mm-hmm. If you open a, a piece of malware and it's packed, and you're just poking around the code, well, you're, you're probably looking at the unpacking logic. And maybe you want to figure that out in detail, because you want to write your own unpacker, um, odds are, though, you just want to get the unpacked binary out, so you want to skip over as much of that as possible. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are easier ways. Maybe you find you can do it in a sandbox. Maybe you find you can do it with a debugger, and and that's part of the skill set too. Especially when it comes to malware, is then knowing when tools like IDA or Ghidra are not the right fit, and maybe there is a better tool to accomplish whatever whatever you're set out to accomplish. So that's another yeah. thing that comes with time. And, and like I said, I. Yeah, I wouldn't just start by grabbing a big old binary and trying to RE it. I would start with I would recommend starting with those smaller programs, understanding how it works from the source code level, disassembling it, comparing the two. Uh, I found that for me to be a much easier way to mm-hmm. to to build that that proficiency. Well, standard. it starts
0: giving you the building blocks so you know yeah. like what the the fundamental pieces look like. So then I almost feel like when you look at at least an IDA, right? When you look at Ida, and by the way, if, if chat, you guys don't know what Ida is, uh, it's, a, it's a disassembly tool. It has a very, you know, familiar looking interface when you see it, you know, it. I'll pull it up in a second. But instead of looking at lines of code, at least in the PhD, this happened for me, you start seeing blocks of code, right? Like you're like, you're not looking at individual lines, you're looking at blocks and you're like, okay, like this is... This is the start of the the PE the file or this is this right here is obviously encryption, right? Like you can see the XORs and the loops and stuff. So you start building blocks and then you start seeing structures and stuff like that. Um, you did mention something a second ago, Josh, about packers and obfuscation and stuff. Nick has a great question. Talk about anti-reverse engineering techniques, how frustrating they are, maybe some evolution. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll leave you to it.
1: Uh, yeah. So again, it, it, it really depends. Um, you, you know, you you just you kind of anticipate and expect when, when dealing with anything malicious, or that you suspect is malicious, you're going to run into anti analysis, um, you're going to run into obfuscation, the techniques, you know, applied with malicious office documents are going to be different, because of the technology that's at play there than the techniques you'll find in those those native code files like your PE files. So it's really going to depend on, on what you're analyzing what you're looking at. Um, you know it, it, kind of the, the, the sequence of, of operations too. Uh, where they're looking for sandbox environments or where they're looking for the right environment, you, you might find more uh, like on the maldoc side, you know a lot of that stuff, there's just enough obfuscation to to make extraction of important IOCs frustrating. Um, so mild docs are gonna be typically your downloaders and they're they're gonna just you know obfuscate those 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 URLs enough so that we can't we can't just automate the extraction. Or if we do, they change it every, every two weeks or something. Um, when you get into the native code payloads, you know, now that's the thing that's going to try to persist in the environment. It's, it's going to move laterally. It's going to be beaconing out to C2. It's going to drop other payloads. So that's going to be more, you know, more armored in a way. Um, you know, so it depends on, on where you're at. Uh, you, if we just focused on native code payloads, for example, you know, packing is typically one of the first things that you'll encounter. You know, you take your, your program that you want to be your malware. Now you've, you've got it all written and ready, and you've got all sorts of anti-analysis in that. Now you pack it inside something else. Uh, sometimes it's pretty clear-cut. UPX comes to mind. You take a program like UPX. Um, it takes your original binary. It, you know, packs it into another executable. Now when we analyze that executable, we have the code that is the unpacking stub. It, it unpacks that original binary, loads it into memory and executes it. Um, but that's, a, that's probably the most ideal case. Not, not only if you find something that's using UPX, because then you can use UPX to unpack it, but that it has that simple and clear unpacking process. The, the more complicated packing, I think you get into stuff that's using you know, shell code and it's just the flow is a lot more complicated as it's unpacking mm-hmm. resources and, and executing that. So it can be a lot less clear as to what's going on. Um, you know, from there, you know, you name it, if you can think of it, um, the Excel documents, Excel for macros have been pretty prevalent for the last couple of years. And I don't know why this is the case. I haven't quite figured this out, but the Excel docs versus word documents using VBA style macros in those Excel docs, they do a lot of anti-analysis. They look at things like screen resolution. Does this system have a mouse? Can it play audio? Um, is this actually windows? And, and then as you get into like the native code payloads, there might be some, some geolocation stuff, but a lot of the anti-analysis is just preventing and disrupting your ability to disassemble the binary or to run it in a sandbox because it's, it's looking to make sure that it's not in a sandbox environment.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and those can have profound impact on your tools uh, you know, the sample we were, we were, I wanted to look at today. Um, we were going to do a little bit of unpacking if all would have gone well. And then there's some tricks that they throw in there for disassembly and it, it trips up IDA pro in this case so that the disassembly listing becomes inaccurate. And if yeah. you don't, if you don't recognize that, then you end up thinking that, that that, output that you see is the, is correct. And it just takes you nowhere and you, you have to be able to recognize that, correct the output so that you can see the actual flow of the program. Um, and sometimes like when I'm looking at stuff statically and it doesn't make sense, then I'll follow along in a debugger and then the debugger. Cause again, the, the debugger is the truth data. That's what mm-hmm. the CPU is executing. So if things aren't matching up in my debugger as they are in my disassembler, um, you know, something's going on and I, and I need to dig a little bit deeper into to figure out what that problem is.
0: Yeah. And you, you bring up a, a good point. I meant to mention it earlier when you were talking about, you know, whether you should learn C assembly, et cetera. Another thing that, I I just feel it's important to comment is that I would recommend you don't have to take an entire course on computer architecture, but I think it it's worth understanding like as nerd as it sounds, it's worth understanding how a computer actually works, like how things are read into memory and put on the, on the CPU and processed and registers and, and instruction pointers and stuff like that. Cause if you don't understand how code actually executes on a computer, it it's, it's, it's important to understand it because that's the way that the malware is going to operate as well. So I think it's important to understand that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, uh, Oh gosh, I forget the author's name, but there's the whole set of windows internals and mm-hmm. like
0: Mark uh, Russinovich.
1: Yeah. Uh, they're on my shelf. Um, yeah, it is. Recidivage. Yeah, of course. Why wouldn't it be? Nailed it. Uh, <laughs> um yeah, there they're there I don't know if there's more updated versions of what I have at this point, but um I did I certainly didn't read through those cover to cover because it's I Expands a couple volumes at least, yeah. Uh, but I have found them to be very helpful, and and then, like you said, learning more of the internals of of the operating system. Not to become an expert at how operating systems work, but even when I started, I wasn't real clear on the difference between. You know pe files on disk and pe files in memory and where everything was executed and understanding virtual memory and how that is managed. I don't really care about and I've never had to care about the physical memory. Although if I was doing more incident response, I don't do a lot of incident response. Um, and I was pulling actual content from physical RAM disk I might I'm or for memory physical memory, um, I might have to care more about how, how that is utilized and how it was mapped to the operating system. So Uh, Yeah, and I don't, you know, I don't want it to be sound overwhelming um, because it it can be. But that's yeah, I think somebody made the comment here. A lot of professions are the same way. Um, Mm -hmm. Just want to have a plan, Uh, and I think having discussions like this. Well, this this is where I would recommend starting, and these are things I would recommend looking at. Can help to just provide a a more methodical, streamlined, uh, maybe even enjoyable you a career progression into getting into Mm -hmm. re because because it is a lot of fun Uh, i i always especially with malware i see it like a big game of chess um and that there's there's always something new to learn there's always a change in tactics there's always a change in obfuscation i don't feel like i'm anywhere near the point of i've learned everything i can about this um i still feel like i'm you know the foothills of the mountain looking up going jeepers (laughs) yeah every time
0: you Every time you uh, uh, reach the top of a mountain, you see the next mountain basically. Yeah. Yeah, And, and Jess, Jess mentions that it's the ultimate puzzle challenge. It really is. I I said it earlier and I meant it like in my professional work, I don't have the luxury, the time, or really the, 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 the ability where it would make sense to do reversing and malware analysis, but I love it. It is so, so much fun. Um, so, you know, Tom Pike asked a really great question and, you know, you could probably have a quick answer on it, but how much, how much horsepower do you need? Like, do you need a big rig? Do you need a, a Cray supercomputer to, <laughs> to get into this?
1: Uh, yeah, at least six GPUs. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I think you can get away with, with pretty little. Um, I, I'm usually reversing out of a VM. Um, so maybe a four, Four gigs, and that's probably because Windows is taking up the majority of it. I, I don't know the footprint of IDA. I don't usually have to worry about it too much. Um, so I, I'm usually on a in a VM. I have some old laptops. I'm fortunate enough to have some old laptops lying around. I use those a lot of times. You know, when you get into malware analysis, you, you definitely want to think a lot about your lab environment and making sure that you have good separation from the the, the 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 systems that you're using to do your analysis versus the ones that you use on your everyday. Um, be very careful with that, but really, yeah, I don't, you don't really need a whole lot of, of resources um, as I've gotten, I suppose more, I don't know. I mean, over the years, I certainly appreciate having a, a better system. I, you know, I have a, mm-hmm. a tower here that I use 64 gigs of Ram, nice, nice drives. And I, and again, I think the, the reason that I, I appreciate having all that is because then I can have multiple VMs running the time to restore from snapshots and load VMs from disk is a lot mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just don't have to worry too much about it. Um, you know, uh, having like sandboxes at home and stuff, that's a whole other thing to consider. Um, and that gets to be a lot more complicated. But even with that, you, you don't necessarily need a, a real beefy system. I have an ESXi server that sits in the closet. I use that from time to time. Uh, again, commodity hardware. I think I could only put 64 gigs of RAM and <laughs> a terabyte solid state. But it's a great tool to have at home.
0: Yeah. So Barzin asks... Um, what can we do today to learn reverse engineering malware analysis? You know, we, you said earlier a little bit, like maybe get a little bit of see a little bit of assembly before you go pull a malware and drop it. But I, I want to take an opportunity. You can answer this question, Josh, but I also want to, mm-hmm. um, I know you have put content on your YouTube channel and I don't know if it's um, playlist where, you know, it's like, you know, a course or something like that. So, do do keep in mind as you respond to this, any resources that you've developed personally, because I know for a fact you have.
1: Uh, yeah. Uh, so I I I have some content if you go to Plural site. Uh, I have a yep. course uh, getting started in reverse engineering. It's probably my most popular course. And it 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 outlines a lot of this that we're talking about. Um, I think I was supposed to make it an hour and a half and it ended up being like a three hour or <laughs> three hour course. Um, so that's certainly something to look at. I have other courses around a malware analysis there uh there usually is a free april i don't know if that's happening this year so you know if you're kind of like the you mentioned pma and i I wanted to point out too there's the humble humble book bundles that come out all the time and you'll be able to pick up content really really cheap or or even free sometimes so uh that's no different there plural site um youtube yes i do have a couple i have a couple playlists one playlist is learning assembly another is learning reverse engineering. Those are old videos from a class I used to teach at DSU. I mainly made them available for future classes and anybody else that stumbled across them. Um, they're not necessarily the best production quality, and some of the content I had to chop out because it just didn't make sense trying to live on its own in that playlist. But that's you'll definitely learn quite a bit of the fundamentals there. Um, I am um, trying to get some courses in C and uh, C++ but I just haven't quite found the time to do that. And I'd really love to redo the intro to Ari and the and the learning assembly. Oh, I do have a learning C course.
0: So so what? which yeah. ones are you saying people should check out this intro to reversing?
1: There's that one, there's learning yep. C, and there's learning assembly. So those bottom four, ignore the intro to web dev. Those Those, okay. those three are a good place to start. Um, they're, again, they're not 100% complete uh, because they were they were in the context of a course, but here you'll see this will cover a lot of the basics of assembly. So yeah. you haven't done this is great though, before, because
0: it's in order it's built on top of it. It's it, this is yeah. a course.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. And it, and it covers all the main things that you'll want to understand getting into assembly. Similar with C man, you're not going to be a C developer coming out of watching those videos, but you'll have a much better understanding how to get started. Um, and then from there, uh, you know, pick up, pick up a book like PMA. I think always books, I, I think a lot of folks find books to be helpful because it, it helps them lay out a roadmap or a plan. Mm-hmm. This is the content I'm going to cover. These are the concepts in each chapter. These are the tools that they're talking about. You might have to find modern day equivalents, but you'll find them. Um, and then uh, there's those, those samples on GitHub. I'd say once you've built a little bit of a baseline, it's, it's Great to just go grab those, compile them, disassemble mm-hmm. them, start tracing through. And um, I mean, even if you wanted to, I guess, to skip all that other stuff, you could. You could just take one of those sample programs. You could compile it, disassemble it, and just whenever... Because this is what I ended up doing a lot, too. Uh, I'm stuck on this. I don't understand the sequence of instructions. So well, now I got to stop. I got to reference the Intel manuals to figure out what does that instruction do. Mm-hmm. And I got to start building the context around that instruction. Because you know when you look at a program in C... One line can say a lot. Multiple lines can say a lot more. Um, in, in assembly, it's just one instruction, one instruction, and so that one line of C might become several lines of assembly that you've got to kind of, you know, gel back together in your mind and, and figure out what it actually represents. So, um, so you could certainly do that. I just, I just think that would be a more, uh, you know, it just was a little more frustrating for me just looking at that, that, you know, that Ida pro output and going, all right, I don't, I don't understand any of this.
0: Um, (laughs) So, well, okay. So that's for beginners, right? And those are some great resources that we just shared. Matt asks, well, okay. So he's an experienced engineer. He knows assembly, but he's new to cyber. So he's got a lot of those foundational pieces that you got in. mm -hmm. What, What do you recommend for someone who's kind of that, that user?
1: Um, well, as far as a tool, uh, I don't know. I come kind of back to that IDA Ghidra. I don't think you can go wrong there. Um, there, there's a lot of areas that they're going to be fairly similar. Um, I, I think a lot of colleagues still use IDA. I mean, you just can't go wrong. It's just the license. So if you if if cost is prohibitive, then you have to work around that, which is where Ghidra is a good alternative. Um, but between the two, I I think you just really can't go wrong there. Um, even even Binary Ninja. Um, I, again, I don't use that for a lot of my malware reverse engineering, so I just can't speak too much to it where maybe I would find it frustrating or not. But with Ida, you know, you've got the 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 plugin capability to write plugins you've got it's been out there for a long time too so there's other plugins that you can take advantage of and look for and and use you add it into your workflows there mm-hmm. uh, Ghidra, since it's newer it has extensions it has plugins and it comes with quite a few it comes with some good docs it's not hard to get up and running with it I think you can write them in in Python as well same with IDA you can write your plugins in Python so it, it makes that that ease of getting up and running with it a lot easier um, and, uh, and then and you know, I, I, the thing yeah. I like probably the most go ahead? still with IDA is it has a pretty good integration with the debugger. So if you've got the professional version, you've got a license, you can integrate with windabug. I'm comfortable and I like windabug. I'm, I'm probably one of the few, but, uh, you get a really good and integrated tightly coupled debugging experience. I know Ghidra is working on it, at least what they're releasing publicly. I don't know how good it is. I think it's still... Very much in its infancy, but you know, it it just—it again—it kind of depends on how much of your workflow you really want to—you want to streamline and and how much you don't mind jumping around in tools. You know, usually if you're doing it day in and day out, you want to streamline as much as possible.
0: Yeah, and you know, for beginners or more seasoned, experienced people, and I feel like the seasoned, experienced people would would benefit more from this. But you could take a a piece of malware that's like uh, well defined, like want to cry or, or me ride botnet or something like that. And there's definitely videos online of people disassembling them, people who do what you do, Josh, and almost like a walkthrough. So, you know, that's another, that's another good way. At least one way that I like to learn is, you know, basically like a, a follow along or ride along where you can, you know, spend a minute, mess with it, and then look at what they do and be like, Oh, okay. Like I get it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's, and that's another resource I used, um, was to, to look for write-ups. A lot of security companies that have security teams. Um, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Um, Marcus Hutchinson.
0: Oh, Marcus. Yeah. 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 He,
1: he, I don't know if he still blogs a lot, but he, he's had a lot of really, really good write-ups. Um, It's not, you know, it's, it's not always easy. I find with reversing, um, even, even, I mean, I've written some, I was looking at an old lab I wrote up before this video, trying to follow along with it. And, um, it's, it's hard sometimes to capture every single step. So you can find yourself trying to follow along this person's blog and, or their write up and still running into well, how exactly did they get from point A to point C? There's gotta be Mm -hmm. in here, but there's enough of them out there that have all of those details, um, you've got to get the samples too, and usually that's not a problem. There's enough resources online to, to search for those malware samples and, and download them. Usually on the write ups they put the hashes. You know, hey, we're going to mm-hmm. look at we're going to look at malware X, and here's the hash of the sample that we're going to look at today. So you can go download it if you want. Um, so it makes getting access to pretty much everything f- fairly easy. Um, and uh, yeah, and then, and of course there's some YouTube videos uh, that you can follow along too. And so I I think that's another good good place. Good place to look. Um, some of the things that you might not get, uh, like if we were talking about unpacking, there there is, I, I think, a fair bit of of art that comes with it. You know, like how did you know to to skip all this code and get to this next location, and and stuff that might be a little bit lost in some of the technical write ups. So. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's, that's where I get lost. You know, I, I did enough to get through the program, but I am not going to become a professional reverse engineer anytime soon. Uh, we, we are, um, so by the way, I looked at Marcus's blog. I pulled it up. It looks like he hasn't posted since, um, April, uh, November, 2021. So it's been, you know, a good five months. So I don't know if he's taking a break or whatnot, but, uh, I dropped that in chat also for everybody. Um, josh and and guys like i love all the questions i know uh, we don't have time to get to all of them but really fun question that nick aloha asks uh he says what's the most interesting malware family sample to reverse i'd also be curious if you have any um stories of you know interesting war stories if you will of analyzing uh malware or or you know either dynamically or statically
1: uh the most interesting um i don't know I, i think it's all interesting to some degree um you know most of it uh, i if you look at your I, i'd say probably the the more the more Capable criminal actors and our nation states—they're probably going to offer the more sophisticated tools. Um, mm-hmm. Malware that uses some of them will use a, a virtual machine for a for a packing mechanism. Those are really difficult uh, because much like we, we talked about with .NET binaries, they're they they're interpreting the bytecode. and and if you don't under if we don't know what that virtual machine is, then you have to understand the actual. Uh, instruction set that they're using, and so those can be really challenging. I, I think there's there's one guy I met. I can't think of his name right now. He he teaches a lot at Hack in the Box, and that's sort of his expertise area is dealing with virtual machine based packing. Um, so, so it's one of those niche areas. Uh, some of the, the the more commodity stuff that maybe you see floating around everywhere, low key bot comes to mind. Uh, that's not to say that it's easy to reverse, but you'll probably find that the packing mechanisms that they use and some of the others tend to be a little bit easier once you've you've gained some experience there. Um, uh, the one of the most interesting things I came across that's been a couple of years now. I actually have a there's a blog post out there somewhere on the bromium or HP website. Um, it was a it was a sample that after spending a fair bit of time just tracing through the unpacking process i would get to a point where things just fell apart and i couldn't understand why because i was tracing it in the debugger i was tracing it in ida and it just it would make this 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 jump or this return and everything would just stop my debugger would just stop hmm. and i didn't understand but after you know pondering it a little bit and then realizing the difference uh, it was using a return f instead of a, just a regular return um, what it was doing is it was jumping from thirty two bit to sixty four bit code. And because I was using a thirty two bit debugger, I couldn't continue the debugger, so it would just crash. It didn't the debugger didn't crash. It just stopped tracing the code for me. Um, I think the technique's heaven's gate, and I didn't recognize it at the time. Uh, yeah, there there it is. So I mean, that's the kind of a write up where you could actually take the sample you could follow along with the reversing. Um, I think it's like ninety five percent there. there might be a few gaps. But uh, I think it became Heaven's Gate, which I just didn't recognize at the time. So then folks started blogging about this Heaven's Gate technique. um, And I don't remember the exact timeline, but I was like, oh, crap. That's the thing I ran into. I just didn't recognize it. So um, That was me.
0: It could have been called Josh's Gate.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right, right. I don't know. I mean, it was in that same timeline. I think I came across a sample because at the time it was recent um, that they were just using that technique, so so it's, 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 it's really neat, and that's the kind of stuff that you, you you know you don't you just don't know until you know about it, and um, you learn about some of the limitations of your tools, and you learn a little bit about the operating system, you learn a little about the the architecture going, I didn't know I could just simply return from a, 30, in a 32-bit code, 32-bit program, I could just return to 64-bit code. And, and that's what it did in the same memory space. It just, it just makes the switch. So That's pretty, that was, pretty awesome. Yeah. And then when you figure that out, it's like, oh, that is really cool. And I feel like I've really accomplished something because I'm understanding how this is now unraveling. So then you're know, kind of midway through the unpacking. Now you shift gears, you're, you're doing 64-bit code, and you can continue to unravel it. And all of that was just a downloader. So it was just one URL that it was trying to download the next stage from.
0: You know, I, I say it all the time on Simply Cyber's First Things First, the, the morning broadcasting I do. Um, like, I don't encourage, I don't support threat actors' behavior, but I I do respect and hat tip to their innovation and their 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 approach to always pushing the fold forward on their techniques. It's it, I mean it's why we have a job, right, Josh. But like yeah. it's it's they're so clever. It's so innovative. Um I just wish they would apply it to <laughs> the the good side instead of the dark side, but you know. So Josh, we're almost out of time, but um there is an incredible uh, swell of support for you to come back on the channel. So <laughs> if you're cool with that, we will definitely have to do it. I know it only took us 14 months to get this sorted out, but uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think, I think we could do it if you want to uh, kind of do a reversing 2.0. I'll, I'll engage the Simply Cyber community on the Discord server and ask them, you know, you have a million different things you could talk about, right? Specific okay. malware techniques and, and, and toolbox and whatnot. So we'll, we'll definitely bring you back on if you're interested. But I want to give you, you know, a, a minute here. The stage is yours, Josh. Anything that you'd like to share um, with the Simply Cyber community? Maybe upcoming project. I know you've got a training in May that we talked about earlier. So uh, I'll give you the floor. uh, Take as much time as you want. And, you know, I'll just, I'll come back when you're ready.
1: Okay, well, I've got 20 slides I'd like to discuss. Um, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, no, no, I appreciate that. Uh, you know, you, you've really motivated me, uh, Jerry, watching everything you've done. I, I can remember calls we had, uh, it seems like not that long ago, but a couple of years where you were really just getting into building Simply Cyber and doing all of the, the great stuff you do on YouTube and other platforms and um, and so it's really been uh, you know inspirational for me and so I'm, I'm trying to do a little bit more of it uh, on my own YouTube channel or at least live streaming I'm still figuring it out uh, but I'd like to because I get asked I get asked these kind of questions a lot how do I get started where's a good place to start um, so doing a little bit more of that in an interactive uh, setting so that folks can can actually follow along and ask questions and we can do some of the basic things right right simple programs look at the assembly talk through some of the nuances there um, I do have a training coming up with cyber defenders uh, if you want to just if you go to their site, you can check it out. That is available um, come the first week of May, and it's not. I, I mentioned earlier there's uh, you know there's a lot of content that we can cover that doesn't necessarily get real deep into reversing with tools like IDA. This is kind of that course. Um, we talk a lot about maldocs, initial delivery stuff, looking at a little bit of shell code. We do we do touch on architecture and 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 uh, and RE stuff, but it's not the focus. There's a more advanced course that I save for doing that sort of deep dive excuse me, deep dive stuff, um, which there's also, uh, an offering coming up this summer, uh, with ring zero. And that's exciting because it's, the plan is to be back in person at the ring zero event in Las Vegas uh, around the same time as, as DEF CON and Black Hat. So, uh, all of that is live. I don't share, Jerry, I forgot to share a link with you, but, um, you know, you can Google ring zero and, and be able to find that. Um, yeah, that's really all the biggest stuff i pretty regular poster on social media. Uh, I keep it to just the cybersecurity. So you don't have to worry about too much of of my personal life bleeding into that. So uh, if anyone has any questions, any comments, um, anything I can help with, please feel free to reach out to me in any venue, LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Um, probably have some overlap and discords and slacks that were out there. And yeah, there it is. So I'm I'm trying to pull
0: you up right now so people can see
1: i should there be, you are right? hey, look at you
0: your like face young so things. there you go you'll be right there and you you regular i mean guys like josh obviously you know just from this talk you understand josh knows what he's talking about but josh i mean josh as far as i know you you, you you're a trainer at black hat every year you train it in um hack the box in amsterdam uh, or was it called hack the box when you yeah. went to amsterdam that time Hack the box Heck in the box, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, this is what you do when you're very, very good at it. So anyways, um, yeah, definitely check out his stuff. There have been multiple links dropped throughout chat. If you didn't get those links or you you don't know, go ahead and hit uh, exclamation point Discord. Nightbot will tell you the Discord link to go over. You can get onto Discord and ask me and I will gladly share this with you. Obviously, you can also watch the stream on replay. So Josh, I really genuinely appreciate you being here. Thanks so much. I'm gonna I'm gonna tease to my audience um, what some upcoming stuff actually let me I'll just leave you here normally normally I, I drop you to the green room, but okay. we are close friends, so ha- hang with me here for a second. Sure. Guys, next next week will we'll be in April, everybody. Speaking of actually malware analysis, right? Some of you may remember uh Intuzer. I've covered it on the channel a few times. It's it's unfortunate. Well, <laughs> Josh, I don't know if you're familiar with Intiser, but basically they have a couple different features, but they're like a malware analysis platform that uses um, assembly and genes like from the code um, to, to um, identify what the malware family is. So basically I find a piece of malware, I would very much enjoy to reverse it, but instead I take it and drop it in Intiser and like 10 seconds later they tell me that it's like, you know, um, Loki bot or, or whatever, right? And gives me TTPs and IOCs and everything like that. So the these, um, this is Ari and Roy. They are the VP of research and the CTO of the company. By the way, Roy is also a Simply Cyber community member. So, what's up, Roy? Um, they're going to be talking about the modern sock analyst workflow. So, things have kind of evolved. We got way more telemetry now, but w- what do we do with all that telemetry besides just get overwhelmed? A lot of false positives, a lot of burnout, and stuff like that. So, these individuals they work a lot with socks, uh, big socks, little socks international socks and they're going to come on and talk about false uh, positives, incident prioritization, and really what the modern sock looks like. So if you're interested in working in a sock or if you do work in a sock um, and you're not, it doesn't look like this, you know, there might be some opportunities to bring uh, evolution and maturity to your organization. So I'm super pumped to bring those guys on. So that'll be uh, next Thursday is simply cyber live stream. And then obviously guys, every, every weekday morning, I'm doing this live stream cybersecurity threat briefing. Josh, I know you're not on East Coast time, so it might be hard for you to get over there, but come over sometime and say, what's up, dude? It's a a good time. Uh, Go to simplycyber.io slash FTF, uh, and it will take you right to the next upcoming cybersecurity threat briefing link. And you can see there, uh, it's usually 8 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, 10 a.m. Tuesday and Thursday, Eastern Standard Time. So come join us. Uh, Have a good time. Get some cybersecurity news and and uh, you know have a good time. All right, that's going to do it for this week's Simply Cyber. Our guest has been Dr. Josh Josh Stroshine. Josh, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Jerry, and definitely uh, I would love to come back. So whenever it right. works in your schedule, I won't be a pain like last time. And
0: uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we can get the tech stack working so we could do a demo next time.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, all my I'm using Firefox. I'm going to blame that because it's just not sharing my screen properly. <laughs>
0: No problem. All right, everybody. Until next time, stay secure.